0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. (laughs) I love it when Steve's not here because there's always, you guys always leave a dead spot. That's great. Yeah, (laughs) crickets. Yeah, very cute. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. Miss Liz Malone.
1: Hi there.
0: And uh, no Steve Barkley today, hence the big, big empty space where there normally is a banter banter.
1: Womp, womp.
0: Yeah. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should make that sound clip a womp, womp when Steve isn't here. (laughs) We should. No banter, banter for you. Uh, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Uh, I am excited about today's show. Um, Why don't we get things started right away? And why don't you tell the fine folks at home what the heck we're doing today and who we are talking to? Today
2: we are speaking with Dave Steele. Others may know him as the Blind Poet. Dave, thanks so much for joining us this evening.
3: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Why don't we get things started by just giving the audience a little taste of, of who you are and um, how you sort of fell into this this title of the blind poet?
3: Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give you kind of the, uh, the, the abridged brief version because uh, it, it's, it's quite a long story. But yeah, so I, I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa, or RP for short, which is a... Hereditary uh, sight loss condition with no treatment or cure, and it's genetic. It runs in the family. In my particular case, it comes from my mum's side, and every time there's a, a you know a person born, there's a one in two chance that that um, child is going to develop RP when they're older. Uh, with the, the the particular type of RP that I have, because there's lots of different genetic mutations, but I was officially diagnosed with the condition pretty much eight years ago. I think the anniversary is like next week from where I was officially diagnosed. I always kind of knew we had RP in the family, but I was always told it wouldn't affect me till much, much older. And uh, yeah, I went for a routine eye exam, walked into my local kind of opticians. And when they looked in the back of my eyes, they'd noticed that there'd been a massive change since the last time they saw me, they told me to kind of stop driving straight away. I had to be referred to a retinal specialist and then literally like two weeks later I was uh, diagnosed with RP officially and declared uh, legally blind which here in the UK is called severely sight impaired. You've got two levels of sight loss which is partially sighted and then severely sight impaired which is legally blind. So yeah you know diagnosed you know nearly eight years ago and um, the first kind of eight and nine months of that diagnosis were really quite tough actually really quite a dark time for me and the family. I Lost my job. I was working in car sales at the time. I was also working as a singer and kind of everything I did involved me driving, you know, and and getting around independently. And when I was unable to do so, my employer let me go. Uh, We had a really tough year where we were struggling to get the help and support we needed. And then when I was kind of at my lowest, I got invited to a support group uh, for people with RP and another condition called Usher syndrome, which is the same sight loss as RP, but with hearing loss as well, so deafblind. And when they heard that I'd previously worked as a singer, they said to me, would you be the entertainment and come and sing some songs for the support group? And I said yes immediately because singing and being on stage and talking like this has always been kind of my comfort zone. And going to that support group at that time was something I was really, really anxious about. I was struggling with anxiety and depression not just for the site that I was losing, but also the financial pressure that the whole situation had kind of put on my family. And uh, so, you know, being asked to be the singer for this support group kind of took that anxiety away, going to a support group, seeing people, you know, who had already lost the sight or were losing the site or people using canes and people using guide dogs was kind of like a bit of a scary glimpse into the future for me. So when I, uh, you know, was invited to be the singer, I immediately said yes, because, you know, that gave me a purpose to be there. And then this is where it all kind of changed for me. The night before the event or the support group, I was in bed going over ideas of songs to sing. And I just had this really cool idea where I thought it'd be great if I could take a song that everyone knows and uh, and change the words and talk about my kind of experience so far with, you know, with low vision and blindness. So I rewrote the song Stand By Me by Benny King. And then when I performed it the following day, the kind of reaction I got within the room was quite emotional. People were saying that uh, I was able to kind of describe how they'd always felt. And the words that I'd written was making them feel less alone. And it was just like flicking on a switch for me. It was like, here's something I can do now that um, is going to make a difference and help people as well as help myself kind of come to terms with it. And that was the start of it for me where I just started to write poetry about everything that we were going through uh, as a family and me individually every single day and post them online. And kind of fast forward now, um, you know, eight years later I've written 900 poems, uh, four books, three of them uh, were number one releases on Amazon in America and Australia. And people use my poetry as a way for them to kind of feel less alone. But also the main thing is they use it as a way for them to describe uh, to their loved ones, their friends and family, how they feel when they can't find the words themselves. So it's it's more than poetry. It's, more, it's a support thing for people. And, and you know, that's kind of where I'm at now. I speak at events all over the world, and I try my best to help people every single day through the poetry.
2: I have to what? say, Dave, that you've come such a long way in such a short time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people. I myself am totally blind and and what you've accomplished in seven eight years is is truly remarkable um how important do you think it was to your recovery to get involved in community in those support groups i, I know you just talked a little bit about that but can you yeah that, that was the
3: biggest kind of advice that i got at the beginning It was actually from my sister who was the first one to be diagnosed with rp and she said to me you know when i was probably at my lowest that the best way of understanding what you're going through is to actually speak to other people who are going through the same thing because quite often when you get a diagnosis any kind of diagnosis not just low vision and blindness but it's always tends to be done in a very kind of clinical matter of fact kind of way you know you've got this thing you're going to lose your sight there's no treatment or cure. very you know one in two kids you know chance your children might have it all this kind of information so actually, you know, when you when you get to speak to people who are going through the same thing, you realize, first of all, that you're not on your own, which is, you know, one of the big things that my poetry does, because with anything like this, it, it tends to be, it can be very isolating. And, and quite often you can feel like you're the only one in the world who's dealing with this because you're quite you're not quite ready to speak to other people. And maybe, you, you know, you, you haven't met anyone else that's losing the sight. So. You know you can feel quite isolated so getting involved with online communities and support groups and and just talking to people who really get it is a massive massive help and that was that was a big part of me understanding what I was going through and then being able to relate it to other people through my writing
0: yeah I mean quite often the other thing that we that we really hear um from people who go through vision loss is you know that first year um is always incredibly tough there there's a lot that that people have to juggle and you know in terms of like they're you're really you're dealing with with it's a, it's almost a grieving process what kind of resources did you have during that time to sort of help you through that or were you pretty much kind of just left on your own to just kind of deal with that
3: yeah a bit of both really i mean we were kind of, like a lot of people we kind of fell through the net and the system really let us down. I'm, as my wife would say, I'm, I'm an optimist and my wife is a realist. So um, just to kind of put you in the picture, when, when I was first diagnosed was a really kind of tender time in, in my, my life. I just started a new circle. Um, I would split up with my, my, um, my daughter's mum, who I was living with in, in Scotland. I'd moved back to Manchester to be near family. I then met Amy, who's now my wife. And we kind of um, met and fell in love very, very quickly. She fell pregnant. And um, our son was born uh, in June 2013. Uh, and then on Christmas Day 2013, I proposed, asked her to marry me. And we set a date to get married on, for New Year's Eve 2014. And we'd started that year kind of really excited, saving for our wedding you know, uh, my daughter Ellie was the same age as um, her children. Um, I've got two stepsons, Harvey and Louie. who are both now one. One was sixteen. The other one's fourteen. And um, and and you know, everything was good. And then it was, it, you know, it was actually, you know, April in uh, in two thousand and fourteen when I walked into that optician. So, you know. I came out, We, you know, as I said lost my job, we lost our house, we had to feed our kids on food parcels for a little while while we applied for support through the benefit system. And at the time, there was a nine-month kind of process of, you know, getting through all the paperwork and, you know, being basically assessed so you actually qualified, um, which is just crazy, really, actually, when I think about it, because, you know, when you surely when you are declared legally blind or severely sight impaired, that should be enough to get a certain level of support. But unfortunately that's not the way the system works and it's flawed. So, you know, that's why I said right at the beginning, I was really struggling, not just with um, the anxiety and depression of me losing uh, my sight quite rapidly, but also the financial pressure, now having to move into social housing and everything else. It was, it was a really tough time. And actually my first book, was actually writing about a lot of that. And I I found that speaking about the hard times, I think there's great strength in being able to talk about your weaknesses and being able to kind of say to somebody through a piece of poetry, you know, I've struggled with that too, is a really powerful thing and it can really help a lot of people. That's what I found anyway.
0: So in in terms of the the services that are available, and, and, you know, we we can, of course, only kind of speak to to North America. um, But... You know uh, what? What kind of organizations are there over there that that help people with vision loss?
3: So you had kind of you've got like the main kind of big charities. The biggest one here in the UK is the RNIB, the Royal National Institute for the Blind. Uh, but I kind of dealt with um, everything on a local level. So I went to my local blind society, and they helped me with the uh, the kind of the paperwork to go through, you know, the government and and get kind of support that kind of way. But as I said, you know, it was literally eight or nine months before we kind of received a first kind of payment and help of support. Um, so we were left on our own, falling into debt uh, and really struggling for about eight or nine months while we went through this process. It was it was torture at the time. And, it, and it, you know, although the system's a bit better than it was back then, it's still not perfect. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of people who really struggle with with the things you have to go through, uh, but you know, eventually everything kind of did fall into place, and and you know we got to a level where we could kind of survive. But it's 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 definitely still a very flawed system in this country.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly how we would describe our system as well. I mean, it's you know it's there, but again, you know the the waiting periods and just the type of resources that um, people are offered. Really, really tend to fall short.
3: Well, but let me let me just give you an example on that. So, um, my uh, my wife, uh, her sister Kath, um, she actually lost her son um, Josh uh, in uh, September last year. He was terminally ill to a condition called Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a terminal muscle wasting disease, and he, he passed away at eighteen. And he, um, when he was about sixteen. They had to kind of switch his, his benefits, his support over. And he the, someone came out and had to assess him. And they walked in to see him in his fully electric wheelchair, realising that this kid was terminal with a condition and just felt so embarrassed that they'd been even sent to assess somebody who it was obviously clear without anyone going round that he needed you know, a certain level of support, um, but the system, um, you know, was uh, designed to be, f- you know, flawed like this and, uh, and, and put, you know, undue pressure actually on families. So it's um, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot that needs fixing. We need to speak to people within the communities and and people like ourselves to actually get it right rather than, you know, take advice from elsewhere.
0: What kind of barriers did you find that you were surprised with once you started going through vision loss Uh, that you had to sort of deal with?
3: Yeah, I mean, probably the same as most people. I mean, I I know obviously from the work that I do now about the ridiculously high unemployment rate within the the blind community. You know, it's nearly 75%, which is just crazy. And a lot of that is down to lack of awareness and education and the misconceptions that are out there. You know, it's not until um, you're affected by something Um, that you actually realize the the many misconceptions that are out there. I mean, I was guilty of it just like everyone else. So it's not particularly anyone's fault. It's just a lack of education. Um, You know, and and when I first lost my job, I remember applying for jobs that I could do standing on my head. And the minute I mentioned that I was losing my sight, you know, excuses were made, the phone went down and it was crazy. Uh, So I had to kind of find my own path which is obviously what I've done through the, through the poetry. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to do that, that I'm able to, you know, kind of uh, make a living and travel the world and do all the things that I get to do now. But um, it, it's, it's crazy that uh, actually, you know, people who live with disabilities or different challenges actually show, you know, determination and a lot of the key skills that employers should be falling over themselves to actually yeah. kind of get in their staff Right. And the strength that we have, and, and and the resilience, and all these kind of things, the determination. So actually, you know, it, it 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 should be a lot higher. You know, the, the 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 employment rate. You know, it shouldn't be. You know, it certainly shouldn't be seventy five percent unemployed. It's, it's it's crazy, and it's something that there needs to be a lot more education about.
1: Dave, I also have retinitis pigmentosa. And I will say, say though, when you say retinitis pigmentosa, it almost makes it sound more charming than when
3: I I say it. The power of the English accent on the. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. It's like wearing a cape.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. I said, oh, my God, retinitis pigmentosa. I was like, oh, my gosh, Uh that's lovely. That's lovely. Anyway, not so lovely. But uh, I wanted to ask you um, when you were diagnosed eight years ago, Uh, because, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, there is a ridiculous number of mutations of RP, which makes it so difficult for um, researchers to find treatments and cures uh, for that reason. So because of all the different types of mutations genetically, Mm -hmm. the rate of progression really will vary from person to person. So for you, at eight years, were you very symptomatic at that stage? I'm just I think it's good for people to kind of know what the warning signs of RP yeah, are so that they should maybe take more action and go see their um, their specialists.
3: That's a really good question, actually, and only, and only something that someone with RP would ask, which is really great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was in denial uh, for a long time. I probably had, you know, the early onset of RP, which... For those people who don't know anything about retinitis pigmentosa, said it again in a posh voice, um, Mm -hmm. it starts off generally with night blindness, so struggling from light to dark places. Uh, The way I often describe it is it's like your average sighted person walking from a brightly lit area into a cinema, it may take them a couple of seconds for their eyes to adjust. Someone with night blindness, you know, wouldn't be able to adjust in what is relatively just slight dim light. It'd be like complete blackness sunlight you know is can be really kind of glary and hurt um so it's really light sensitivity and uh, and then from there on you then start to lose your peripheral vision uh like a tunnel closing inwards and then your central vision then tends to go as well so early 20s i probably had the the night blindness aspect but very very gradual and it wasn't really affecting me and but i was probably in denial that it was rp even though i Deep, deep inside, I knew I just kind of got on with things because I didn't have to really make any adjustments. And it wasn't until, as I said, my late 30s uh, when I was uh, officially diagnosed, it really started to you know, dip quite fast where mm-hmm. I lost all my peripheral vision uh, in the first kind of eight or nine months. Obviously stress adds to that. And now where I'm at is my left eye. I've got no useful vision in the left eye. Uh, I've lost all my peripheral vision in my right. And I've got a tiny bit of central vision, which I use pretty well, but now that's starting to go as well, where it's getting fa- fairly blurry pretty quick. So I'm, I'm kind of at the last stage of of my useful vision at the moment. But actually, and I want to add this, um, you know, we talk about like all the, the, the tough times and everything else. It does get you into some funny situations. And I want to tell you a quick story if we've got time. Um, when I, before I was officially diagnosed, when I was working as a singer, uh i was doing some gigs on the south coast of england had a couple of days off in between shows decided to check myself into a nice hotel just to kind of relax and this was when i just had kind of the the night blindness aspect and i was in the hotel in the daytime just relaxing went to the gym thought i'd go for a swim went for a sauna went to go to use the sauna and i opened the sauna door And it was quite dark inside and there was a lot of steam and I stood in the doorway waiting for my eyes to adjust to the light. And that took about a minute. And then when my eyes had adjusted to my horror, I realized that there was one woman on her own in the sauna. And basically what i had done is open the door and stand in the doorway motionless, staring straight at her for about a minute, (laughs) like some kind of shadowy... (laughs)
0: <laughs> scary figure uh, <laughs> and
3: literally as soon as I walked in the sauna she left um, so yeah it does kind of get you into some tricky situations
0: oh
2: man we gotta get her on yeah. the show
3: <laughs>
1: if, she, if, if she's out there give us a call us yes, an email. Right. we want to hear her side of the story That's right. yeah
3: we don't no. <laughs> actually what makes that story worse was I actually did, did the same thing later on that afternoon but the second time I went back I opened the doorway, heard that it was busy in there, saw a gap on the bench next to these two women. So I thought, I'm just going to go straight for the gap rather than stand in the doorway. Went straight, sat down in the gap next to these two women, then realized there was a whole empty bench on the other side. So they (laughs) (laughs) went. Yeah, it still, you know. (laughs) I've never been back to that hotel since, and apparently there's a picture (laughs) of me by reception. um, (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) the sauna stalker yeah exactly do not admit this guy
1: there's dave furthering our cause thank you dave absolutely yeah
0: (laughs) um okay well let's you know what let's switch and talk a little bit about the poetry so i'm curious before all of this happened had you had you tried writing poetry before was it something that you dabbled in or was it just completely new
3: um well Kind of. So I'd written, obviously, I, I worked as a singer for the best part of 20 years, so I, I'd, you know, attempted to write a couple of songs and I've written a couple of poems about, you know, women, girlfriends and all that kind of thing. But, you know, nothing, nothing serious. Uh, and it really wasn't until that moment, you know, when I wrote or rewrote Stand By Me that it just kind of started to literally pour out of me. I mean, you know, 900 poems later and I've never written anyone um, that's taken longer than 20 minutes It's literally like someone sat on my shoulder every time I I sit and write. It's it's very, it's very weird, you know. I actually talk about how before I started to lose my sight, um, I I had many years where I I actually wasn't happy with my life. I felt cursed, you know. Nothing would ever go right for me. And then the minute I started to write the poetry, you know, once I started losing my sight and kind of got on this path, it's quite spooky how right place, right time, and things kind of happen where I get these amazing opportunities and I'm able to help people. Um, so yeah, you know, it just, it's, it's quite spooky how it happens. And I, I still write pretty much every single day.
2: You also get together it, with a group on Wednesdays, don't you called tea and poetry? I think it is.
3: Yeah, that was, um that's the thing. So I, you know, I, um, when I released stand by me, RP, my first book, as I said, it became a number one release on Amazon in America and Australia. So my kind of, biggest part of my following and 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 audience has always been typically america and i think that's down to kind of you guys are a little bit more open about talking about feelings compared to people in the uk who tend to be a little bit more reserved and especially men um you know there's quite a, a high suicide rate you know people don't tend to kind of talk about emotions and become very isolated because of it so america has always been where I've always had my biggest kind of response. So um, with, with with tea and poetry that actually emerged through the pandemic in 2020, when we went all went into lockdown, uh, literally just before we went into lockdown, my bags were packed. I was due to fly over to DC to be the host of these big awards um, called the Helen Keller awards, Helen Keller achievement awards for the AFB. And, um, And then everything shut down. I was like gutted. You know, I was really excited about Mm. going there and everything stopped. So we kind of went, you know, how do we stay in touch with people and how do we support people? So like everyone else, we kind of went to Zoom and went virtual. And I think the first one before it was entitled Team Poetry was just we got a load of people together on a Zoom call. We spoke about how everyone was feeling during the pandemic and almost how it felt like the whole world had stepped into the shoes of someone with a disability because mm. people were having to deal with things like anxiety and isolation and uh, and that stepping outside your door um, and having to think twice. Uh, everyone was having to kind of experience these things for the first time and that's how people like us have you know been experiencing things in life for years. So from kind of people's uh, experiences and how they were talking on the call about what they were feeling... I then wrote a piece of poetry about it and debuted it the following week. And it's just grown and grown to the point now where it's called Team Poetry. And we have people that tune in from kind of all over the world every Wednesday at 9pm um, UK time, which is like 4pm Eastern. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a really great, you know, support for a lot of people and a, a nice way of uh, me writing new poetry every week.
0: We've talked to to people on the show before um, who have some like really amazing stories. People who didn't even dream of being, of being athletes, but then they went through something like vision loss, and two years later they're they're um, competing in the Paralympics. You know, I, I think that that these things that are that are big life changes. Yes, they 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 you know you're dealing with grief. They they can be a really terrible um, experience, but at the same time, it's It can be a transformative one as well. My question is, I guess, having gone through that, do you have any advice for people who say are going through the beginning of their journey in terms of like finding their thing, whatever that is?
3: 100%. So, you know, one of the things I've been talking about a lot recently is disability isn't an excuse to do less. It's a reason to do more. Um, You know, when you are losing the ability to do something, whether it be to see, to hear, to walk, whatever, um, you know, it gives you a new focus and a new um, perspective on life. Uh, I always say that I use that small tunnel of vision that I have to appreciate the beauty in this world. So it makes me um, it gives me that urgency to do things now and not to wait and not to put things off. And I think that's a great way to live life. You know, that's one of the things that I'm so grateful for because of my sight loss is that, you know, it's given me that ability to cherish moments that much more. But my biggest advice actually to to kind of anyone going through anything similar is not to focus too much on what what may be tomorrow we all have a habit when you know when you're losing sight you have a habit of getting hung up on what it's going to be like in the future what it, what it's going to be like when i lose all my sight what it's going to be like you know in five years time a year's time whatever and i think actually the best advice i can give is to actually not worry too much about tomorrow but focus on what you have and what you can do now and i think that's the best way and actually you know I know, you know, you're just saying you, 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 there is people on the call with, with no uh, remaining vision. And actually th- those people with no sight whatsoever remaining, no light perception or whatever are actually a lot better adjusted than, than people like myself who were trying to use something that you've got no choice to use because you've still got a little bit of sight there, but actually it's broken. Um, that's the hard right. part. Um, you know, it's, you know, when you've, got no other choice to adjust to having nothing you you move past it a lot quicker
2: it's interesting you say that because you know being totally blind i've often wondered what it would be like to have partial vision you know it would be okay if that partial vision was stable but how torturous would it be to know that your vision is going to go at some point but you just don't know when so how do you that's
3: that's another one of the biggest misconceptions is actually that a lot of people think that if you're partially sighted or you have a little bit of sight is that you see one way all the time and Mm. that's just not the case the way i describe it is i have a retinal disease so the retina is the thing that sends the signal to the brain translate what the eyes are seeing so if i um with my little limited vision that i have if i'm in a a space where there's not a lot of movement in front of me, not a lot of objects, an open space. So say, for example, a a good example would be when I go and pick my son up from school, my eight-year-old son, Austin, if I'm in the playground and it's just a few parents waiting for the doors to open and the kids to come out, uh, I feel like I can see fairly well. But then all of a sudden the bell goes and the doors open and all of a (laughs) sudden all these little moving objects come out the door, spill out the doors. And because my retinas can't deal with that amount of information and all that Mm
1: -hmm. movement
3: in a split second, I go completely misted, fogged over, um, blind. I can't see anything because my retinas can't deal with the information. And that can, that's probably the most, you know, brings on the most anxiety. Mm -hmm.
1: And if I can add on to what you just said, Dave, and I can completely 100% relate to also people who have rp we will often have good days mm-hmm. and then really shitty days yeah, and absolutely. when you ha- and when you have one of those really really bad vision days you are left with that oh my god i could i was able to do this yesterday i can't do this today is this my new normal and just like you said the anxiety can sometimes just be paralyzing mm. and then it might just be because of the 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 blood vessels are under so much strain and you know trying to get those little retinas to fire up as much as they can that it it might just be like you know you were a little anxious that day and sometimes it it, you know it'll it'll affect portions of of your your field but it is that it's that constant readjusting that anxiety and just the unknowing Um, so I I mean, I'm just echoing exactly what you said in, in so many ways, but it is one of those things that people don't understand that it is. It's like it's like living in a world where you are constantly on eggshells.
3: Yeah, there's so many things that affect it, you know, stress, illness, you know, if you're tired the weather, um, alcohol, you know, it, alcohol. It, it, alcohol, yeah, you know, <laughs> bummer. Yeah, uh, exactly. All these, you know, all these things, you know, like obviously I was in San Francisco last weekend and then you come back and you got the jet lag and then, it, you know, eventually that'll hit your eyes. And I, you're exactly right. You have a dip in vision. You're thinking, okay, is this, is this down to just me being tired or stressed or whatever? Or is it another dip in vision? Is, is this something I've got to kind of get used to? So yeah, it, it can be tough. And a lot of people, um, you know, just don't realize that. And, and it's something that I try and talk about it, through the poetry.
2: So I guess since I've been blind for 27 years, no sight at all, I should start to learn to celebrate my blindness.
3: <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's really important to kind of let people know that because, you know, people are worrying uh, about a future that actually is nowhere near as yeah. stressful as, as the present.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. I mean, RP is such a, you know, I don't want to call it a common condition, but but it kind of is, you know, within that that realm of, of vision loss. Um, and it's such an insidious one, too, because a lot of people find themselves in the situation where they are are diagnosed with something that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, And and they're and they're left dealing with that. Uh, And that's got to be really, really tough.
3: Yeah. uh, But as I said, that's where it comes in. You know, the the trick that I found is just to basically, you know, train yourself to focus on the here and now and not not panic and worry too much about tomorrow, because, you know, tomorrow's, you know, that's saying tomorrow is never promised to anyone. That's true. Uh, so you know, there's there's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of you know good times in today, and if we if we spend too much time worrying about the distant future, then we'll miss out on all all the uh, all the, you know the memories we can make now. The reason I do what I do now is I just want to try and be there for people in the same way I wanted someone to for someone to be there for me right at the beginning.
0: Right.
3: So yeah. I genuinely do care. You know, when I I don't just write these poems for you know follows or shares or likes or whatever it's it's genuinely my way of trying to actually help people uh and and i do you know i always say i don't just write the words and mean them and i hope that kind of comes across uh when i'm talking and, and certainly through you know my words that i always say you know if you relate to a piece of poetry um and you're struggling message me anytime reach out to me i'll always message you back uh, and, and that's a promise that i uh, I stick to and I try and support you know families all over the world. and and it's something that I never take for granted.
0: Yeah, well, I think that that's you know that's one of the the things about you know the the digital era. Um you know, as for as much as we complain about things like social media and and the online realm, um, really, in terms of building community and building support systems, Never, never before in history have we had such a such an easy and powerful way to build those connections, um, you know, across great vast distances.
3: It's crazy, you know, how you can you know just click a button and send you know a message. And and social media gets a bad rep, you know, but you know I, I it's been nice to see so many people from not just the low vision and blind community but the disability community using it in such a positive way especially over the the recent years and i've had some amazing um you know stories and things that have come from that for example when i was doing my first usa book tour in 2019 i was in rhode island and i was doing an event at rhode island college there and when i was doing my talk my kind of our you know keynote there was this guy in the room that was for some reason was just drawing my attention he looked like he'd come straight from work he was late 20s, early 30s in a high-vis jacket, like a builder, or, you know, workman or something like that. And eventually, you know, he comes up when I'm doing a book signing and introduces himself. And I said to him, you know, what's your name? He said, I oh, it's Derek. He said, pleased to meet you. What brings you here today? And he said, oh, um, I was diagnosed with RP on Monday. And this was like Wednesday. Hmm. So immediately I turned around and said, just come over here a second. And, you know, I asked him what was happening. And he said... He thought he had cataracts, went for an eye test. He said, oh, we think you've got this thing called RP. You know, um, there's no treatment or cure. Your kids might have it. Loaded all this information on him. He left the appointment with his head spinning, went home, jumped on a computer, started researching RP, and then found one of my poems. And it kind of, when he read it, it started to make sense to him, a lot of things that he was maybe in denial about, things that had happened. And he said he was in work that day and his wife called him and she said, you're never going to believe this, but Dave Steele's in America. And not only is he in America, he's in Rhode Island. And this guy yeah. walked straight out of his work and he came straight to see me. And, you know, and wow. that's the power of social media. It was just, yeah. what are the chances? This guy's just diagnosed, finds one of my poems, and I just happened to be there. Hmm. And it was crazy. And I've had lots of little kind of, you know, stories and connections with people all over. Um, and that's the power of it. Yeah. And I think at the end of
0: the day, you know, for, you know in terms of you know, organizations can provide you know a certain amount of resources they do it they can um, but at the end of the day really it's these communities and it's this this support um between the people in those communities that i think really do the best work
3: yeah definitely it's the first line um you know with as far as like the clinical side of things they're still trying to you know discover a lot of things and as. As you were just saying there about RP, for example, having lots of genetic mutations, are so still you know, finding a lot of information out. And actually the best way is just to speak to other people who are going through the same thing. And that's why I think it's key that a lot of the big kind of three-letter organizations out there, your AFB, NFB, FFB, all these places in America that I'm connect- connected with now, um, why it's so important that we have people with- working within those organizations who are living with the conditions Uh, That you know of the people that they're trying to support.
0: I think the the other really interesting thing about this, though, is that the arts, creativity, and you know certainly poems specifically, I think, really do something kind of special because Mm -hmm. it allows it allows people to really absorb this these feelings and the this information in a really short condensed way that just nothing else does reading a blog or listening to a podcast doesn't hit people as hard as something like a poem and i think that you're really tapped into something really special there
3: i couldn't believe there was more people doing it actually when uh, when i first you know kind of had the idea with the stand by me rp song and you know it is poetry music is the same thing you know we've all got a a song that's been there for us, you know, in a dark time, a breakup or whatever, we turn to these kind of music and storytellers, you know, the best um, singers, songwriters, the, the storytellers, and what they tend to do is the best ones, the ones that we really relate to and, and have a bond with, uh, are the ones that really open their own lives up and talk about the, you know, bear the soul and talk about the things that they go through. They're, they're, they're the ones that really hit home. And, and that's something that, I, I promised right from the start that I was going to do that. I was going to you know, talk about everything, the good days, the bad days, and hopefully that people would connect with my words and be helped by it.
0: So now that now that hopefully we're kind of in the tail end of COVID, what's kind of next for you? What, what, are, what are you working on now? Do you have any, any more tours in the works?
3: Yeah, 100%. Lots, lots. Um, I mean, the biggest thing at the moment, something I'm so, so proud of, is uh, the the latest book that just got released in December, uh, which is the first in a new series of children's books uh, called Austin's Amazing Adventures. So these are short, poetic stories based on my son, Austin, who, as I said, has got a one in two chance of losing his sight when he's older, but he's he's no signs at the moment. But in the story, he's a young, visually impaired boy going to a mainstream school with his best friend, who's his guide dog, Joe. And the books are about kind of the interactions that he has and the challenges that he faces. And the idea behind them is that it's going to normalize uh, disability and, and ch- different challenges for children living with them within schools, break down those misconceptions and those social barriers that they face. So the children that are reading them with disabilities and different challenges will relate to the characters within the stories and those who aren't affected by disability or different challenges will realize that these kids are just like them. And, you know, the first book is about Austin, uh, but where we're going with the future books, because I wrote the first six stories in one night is that we're going to have characters, secondary characters within the stories where we can talk a th- about things like autism and ADHD and wheelchair use and all these things that if you walk into any mainstream school that you're going to see and normalize them for these kids. So that's kind of the next big, big project as well as obviously all the speaking engagements and, and doing all the other things. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And obviously Austin being the main character in the book is really cool. We're actually coming in, He loves it. We're, we're coming to um, uh, the uh, foundation fighting blindness, have an event in June uh, called visions 2022. And it's held, it's going to be held at, uh, at Disney world in Orlando and myself, my wife, Amy, and Austin uh, are coming to Visions to actually speak at the event. And it's going to be Austin's first time in America. And what a great way of oh, being able yeah. to kind of come to America for the first time, go to Disney World and, and speak about your book. That's just, just such a <laughs> oh, <book>. Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: for anybody out there who is interested in your work, uh, where can they find you online uh, if they want to find out about you, if they want to attend the, the tea in poetry, if they want to look into some of your books? How can people find you?
3: Yeah, so really, really simple. Go to my website, which is theblindpoet.net. And one of the really cool things about the internet at the moment is it's really cool. You can just go into Google and type in the blind poet and all this stuff kind of pops up now. <laughs> There's been many blind poets through history. I think the first one I'm aware of who have actually got tattooed on my arm Was a guy called homer not homer simpson um homer who wrote (laughs) the Iliad and the odyssey that's right and um he was the original blind poet uh so which is why i've gotten tattooed on my shoulder um but it's it's quite cool that you can just go on and type in the blind poet and and find a lot of my stuff but yeah the blind is the website
0: awesome and we'll be sure to uh include that in our show notes as well dave i thank you so much for for dedicating the evening to come and talk to us um it's it's been incredible um best of luck with uh the new book series and and actually when once you get a few more books under your belt in that book series you got to promise to come back and talk to us again oh my pleasure absolutely i'd love to
2: let us know if you ever come to Canada, the West Coast preferably. Oh yeah, <laughs>
3: of course, yeah. I, I am actually. Oh, uh, I just I just did a TV interview uh, in Canada a few weeks ago um, for, and I can't remember the name of the TV uh, channel. AMI. Probably- um, AMI. Yes, AMI. Yes, AMI. Yes. Yeah, a- AMI interview, which I think I believe I believe it goes out in like June or July. I think.
0: We'll see you there we'll we'll get we'll get you we'll get you published before that so that it looks like they're, they're ripping us off. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. good. Sounds good. All right, Dave. Well, listen, take care and best of luck and
3: uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on.
2: Thanks a lot, Dave.
1: What a charming man.
0: Yeah, oh, well, it's all about the accent for you,
2: I'm oh, sure. Oh god. I just, it's like just
1: yeah,
0: yeah, I know. I tell you, I wish I wish I was better at accents.
1: You should go to, the, go, to a, go to a language coach and say, I want to sound charming and British. I need to, and-
0: I need to learn how to say Liz and Google. <laughs> and I want an English accent.
2: To everyone in our audience, if you want to hear Rob's Irish accent, send an email to cowbell at at banter.com
0: <laughs> way, to, way to get nobody to email us they might again. finally they might
2: finally email us to hear that <laughs> i
0: don't know all right well i'll hold it i'll hold it in the bank i have it ready for everybody. um no that is so cool uh i mean what a turnaround right like Absolutely. that's got to be that's got to be really something to to just have the you know the worst nine months of your life um, and then just slowly it just turn around. and you know, eight years later, you're in a completely different world.
1: And I hate to say this and sound like Debbie Downer, and no offense to anyone named debbie uh, what 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 Dave has done is certainly the exception and not the norm because when you you know so many people we, you get that news. and I mean i I got that news too. And there are so many people who just who don't turn it around. so. Sure. I mean,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. I I I think so. I mean, it's hard, and it's hard, right? Like, it's it's hard to find your thing. You know, certainly that is even harder to do when you're going through a big, traumatic life event like that. But I think that I think that everybody has that in them somewhere. It's just a matter of if you're lucky enough to tap into it or get that opportunity to bring it out.
1: Taking advantage of. All the support systems, the support groups, having a, a core group around you, family, good friends. I mean, that that's really where so much of that 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 good yeah. juice comes out of. And so I, I think that 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 Dave seems to have that that secret sauce, and I think it's 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 wonderful yeah. what he's done with it.
0: Yeah, well, and especially that he can take that and then help others. Um, is you know. Even better.
2: So go to blindpoet.net, buy his books, buy his t-shirts, whatever memorabilia he's got. That's right. His, yeah. I really enjoyed that. So Wednesday, probably around, he said four, so probably 1 p.m. Pacific, you can check out Tea and
0: Poetry. Yeah. What else are you going to be doing on Wednesday at That's 1 o'clock? That's right. <laughs> you should go check it out, Ryan. You can you can duck away from your, your tech support duties for an hour and go, go listen to some tea. Or, go, listen go listen to some, to some poetry. Some have, <laughs> go, go, listen to some poetry. You Bye. know, you know, Liz will be there.
1: With my little pinky extended.
0: That's right. It's right.
1: My little shocker.
0: Tea etiquette. <laughs> 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 oh God! Whenever we're just, we're never gonna live that down. See, we.
1: he's got tea and poetry. I would have tea and shocking.
2: <laughs> there's a podcast in there somewhere there is that's that's
0: there Tea you go shocking. we wanted to rename the podcast boom
1: boom there you go done, done. you're welcome
0: marketing team marketing team, <laughs> marketing team. Their... <laughs> Tea and we are
1: dismissed <laughs> that's right dot <laughs> com oh lord <laughs> uh.
0: Oh, we guess. No, that's, I mean, I love it. I love the story. And, um, but I mean, how, so actually, Liz, when, so when you got diagnosed, where were you in that whole process?
1: So I was diagnosed fairly early. Uh, So I was one of those early birds who was told that there was this horrific thing coming down the pike. So, uh, so when, 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 Dave was talking about try to focus on today and not what will happen. I had all the doom and gloom of, oh, my Mm. God, my life is going to suck when I reach a certain age. So I was diagnosed at 21, and I was not legally blind until I was 30. Right. And originally they had said, we think you're going to be legally blind at 40. So it actually came 10 Mm. years earlier. So, yeah, but I, but... The way I described it today was that I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I'm like, oh God, now I, I can't drive. I won't be able to do this. All these things are going to be taken away from me. I, I, it was very hard not to, at that time, get really entrenched and focused on all the things I'm going to lose. Yeah. And um, so I was there at, at an early age, but thankfully I didn't. I, I'm, I was similar to Dave. Like I had my period of just really feeling like, oh my God, everything, life is going to suck to then figuring out what my place is going to be moving forward i'm still working on that (laughs) it's a work in progress
2: well like i mentioned i think the worst part of that scenario would be not knowing when that Mm -hmm. vision is going to go i i guess you can't really understand or comprehend what that's like i lost my sight instantaneously boom it was gone having that kind of gentle reminder teasing you day after day after day after day of not knowing when it's gonna go because you know it's going I that would be so hard to deal with
1: well as goofy as this sounds I'll even have moments where uh, my it'll be my own hair will sort of fall in front of my face and I won't feel it touching my cheek it'll just kind of block my vision and I say, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can't see my, oh my God, my central's got, and I'm like, oh my God, it's my hair, okay. Oh jeez. Wow, <laughs> so geez. it's that first feeling of like, oh, oh, oh shit. There's like the a, anxiety, you, Yeah. Oh my God, mm-hmm. wow. So it, yeah, you, you you, kind of are, you have these moments when you're on edge a lot because when something drastically changes, you're thinking, oh my God, you, you can't help but think the worst.
0: So and that makes me wonder, like, is there, are there any resources for people who are newly diagnosed that are living through that? Because, you know, I would think that that's a really big hit to your mental health to, to especially have to deal with that for years. Mm-hmm.
1: It's very hard to get it um, as a state-sponsored resource, because here in the U.S., everything is state-run in terms of uh, what kind of resources you get for um, Yeah for uh conditions right and he he, uh, unless you have private insurance you're not gonna you're not gonna get us you're not gonna get seen for months, months yeah and i don't
0: i don't think that there's anything here either um i suspect that there's there's really not certainly not anything that's funded um so i mean i think that you know that's even a problem um you know people who are who are living under sort of the the cloud of this coming, I mean, they they need help. They need resources to to deal with that because it's it's it has to be a, a really big burden to to face. Um, so, I mean, hopefully there are lots of support groups and stuff out there um, that can help in that regard.
2: Well, I think it's like Dave said. You know, that's kind of the one of the benefits social media can have is it broadens our community to be a global community. Sure, it can be a you know a dumpster fire, but you know you can choose not to attend those groups and find the groups that are supportive and encouraging. Yeah, because you know everything is based around the medical model, right? Yeah, you know, you're diagnosed, true. and then you go for your follow-ups, and you go for your follow-ups, and you go for your follow-ups. But at the end of the day, you're still left on your own with your friends, your family. That's right. And hopefully, you can get plugged into a community.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, whatever support system that you can sort of manage to to put together, for yep. sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we can't change the world today, I'm afraid. Okay. Because we still have to have lunch.
1: <laughs> you must be fed before you can change the world.
0: That's right, exactly.
1: No one changed the world on an empty stomach, so.
0: <sighs> nope. Hey, Liz.
1: Hey, what's up, Rob.
0: Where can people find us?
1: If they choose, they can find us on the web at atbanter.com.
0: uh Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at a cowbell.
2: What's this? If they choose to find us, and if they desire to send us an email, they really? will go to atbanter.com and they will <laughs> oh. send an email to cowbell. <laughs> at atbanter.com
0: wow okay
2: there's Ryan, no indecisiveness Ryan, on the, this show
1: these are not the droids we are looking for wow
0: yeah really to <laughs> using the jedi mind trick on everybody nice i approve
3: <laughs> they
0: uh hey they can no, they will also they will. <laughs> go to our social media feeds uh facebook and instagram or wait no facebook and twitter well hell if we're, if we're commanding them let's let's bring back our instagram channel uh, we'll talk to the marketing fa- team <laughs> yeah that's right. the marketing team's very busy apparently with all the assignments that you're assigning them. uh facebook where are they going go go to facebook and twitter and you can find us there too absolutely or
2: any of your favorite podcast apps you want to, want them to send some money your way too, when, no, while we're commanding them? Not yet. That's coming.
0: <laughs> not yet. wait till the. Uh, we will need some funds for the for the AT Banter anniversary party. Yes. Speaking we need of which, a we lot need, of tequila.
2: Speaking of which, we need a meeting. Yeah, I know we need a meeting. I know. We will meet. We will meet.
0: And stare blankly at each other. Probably.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and drink
0: well that's the thing i think it was drinking has to be involved always yeah i always uh, talk, I,
1: I always turn back to alcohol i don't know yeah, i mean you do. We, there's a yeah i don't know mm. i just noticed that myself maybe i need to,
0: Intervention. I need to check myself no nah, you're fine
1: i'm good i'm good you're
0: good you're fine i'm totally you're fine good. yeah <laughs> see poetry and tequila for you mm yeah, we're done. Uh, that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Dave Steele for joining us. And we will see everybody next week.
3: This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology,
0: providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.